See, we don't do religion here. We do relationship. I got a relationship with the Father because of this. And I've been in church since I was three years old. Saved for 40 years. And I've seen people play church my entire life. I've seen people give tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and still be broke. I've seen people show up to church every single day that the church opened open and still die of cancer. I've seen marriages fall apart from deacons and pastors and preachers. And I've sat all my life and wondered, Lord, what is the deal? He said, they need to have a relationship with me. Not a religion. Not the mechanics. Not just going through the motions. They need to know their Savior, and they need to know me. And then you know what I, that I love them. And that I'm not against them. And if they would know that, then they would trust me with every part of their lives. God is looking for his people. And I say here at World Changes Church Houston, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. But here's how this works. You have to choose him. Amen? See, this is not like your earthly marriages sometimes, how they go. How you can be in the same house and not speak. They say, you're meddling now, Pastor. I wouldn't let it be meddled. How you can act like you like each other, but you really don't. There's no praise, there's no thanksgiving, there's no appreciation, there's no whatever. That's how we do each other as humans sometimes. But my God deserves my praise. My God deserves my attention. My God deserves my belief, my love. Here's why. Because some of you hear that and say, oh, I got to do that for then him to do something for me. That's not what I said. I said he deserves it. Now here's why. He deserves it because he's going to love you whether you give it to him or not. He's going to show up for you whether you show up for him or not. God does not show up in your life because you're good. He shows up because he's good. And that's why he deserves my praise. That's why he deserves my devotion. That's why he deserves my commitment. Because he is my God and he is good and he loves me in spite of how I've done him. Somebody said, I don't know if I believe that. Well, you need to open up your Bible and read John 3, 16. That just simply says, for God so loved the world. The world that hate him, the world that talked about him, the world that cursed him, the world that, the world that killed his son. He loved them so much that he gave the best he had. And the only qualification was that whosoever believed. It didn't say whosoever does. It didn't say whosoever was perfect. It said whosoever. Who is whosoever? That's you. Whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And here it is, I thought it had to be perfect. We're gonna look at somebody today who was absolutely not perfect, yet God showed up for her. Because that's really who he is. Because he is. He doesn't just have love. According to 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Can I be really honest with you today? We've done him a disservice sometimes from the pulpits across the world in that we've lied on love, making him appear to be conditional. Yet if you just look at the word agape, it's unconditional love. 
How can it be unconditional love? How can he be love? How can he be perfect love, yet have all these conditions for me to be loved by him? That just doesn't even make sense. But that's the deception of the enemy, to get you to think you're not good enough for him to get you to think that the bad things that are happening in your life is a result of his punishment or his teaching you a lesson. You know how God teaches you lessons? By loving you. You have a new covenant. And it just simply says, I am your God and you are my people. And I'm going to be good to you just because I'm good, not because you're good to me. That's a loving father. Just think about you with your children. Your child's three, four, five years old, and you say, I'll be good to you when you be good to me. I'll feed you when you act right. I'll clothe you when you stop screaming. I'll take you to the doctor or bind up your wounds and help you heal when you learn how to fix your face. That would not be a loving parent, would it? Then why in the world do we treat God that way? We call him love and we call him Abba. But then we think that he only will do us right when we've done right. I need you to lay that thinking down today. And I need you to make a choice that you're going to be willing to trust God. This whole Bible is a love story from God to us. And our part is just simply to believe and receive. Sure, it started out differently. But that's why Jesus came. To set things back to where they were and to make it even better. So as you hear today's message, I want you to put on the lenses of grace and love. My challenge to you is to begin to see the word in its entirety and rightfully be able to divide the truth. Because if you continue to look at the word through the lenses of the Old Testament covenant that says, if you do good, you'll get good, but if you get bad, you'll, I mean, if you do bad, you'll get bad, then you'll continue to misinterpret his love letter to you. So Father, we just thank and praise you for who you are. We thank and praise you for your love. We thank and praise you for your grace. We thank and praise you today, especially for your peace. And I speak peace right now into the minds and the hearts of everyone under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Move up and down every aisle, in and out every road, touch, heal, deliver, set free, make whole. If there's anything wrong in anyone's life today, we thank you that you're making it right. And we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise for the might of your word. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Come on, let's now give God one more hand clap of praise. Do we serve a good God? Amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah 40, 31. The title of today's message is The Waiting and Rested Mother the waiting and the rested mother. And um, I kind of debated on how I wanted to start this message, but man, my prayer today is that 
you see what God showed me in this. It was, it, it's, it's amazing. So let's just get started. As we talk about the waiting and arrested mother, uh, I want to first again define what it means to wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. Uh, yeah, we'll start in the Amplified. That's good. It says, but those who what? Now, a lot of people say wait on the Lord. But when you say wait on the Lord, it, it kind of gives the wrong impression or understanding. And that's why I like the Amplified translation of it. I think it says it more accurately. It says, but those who wait for the Lord. Now, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? Well, let's, the, let's let the Bible define itself. Who expect, look for, and hope in him. To wait for the Lord doesn't mean I'm just kind of sitting around like you wait for your Uber. Amen? It means I am expecting him to get done what he said he was going to do. I'm looking for the manifestation of his grace and goodness in my life. And I hope, not wish, I hope, which also means expect, in him. Who do I hope in? Who do I hope in? My expectation is in who? So to wait on God means to literally continue to go to him first, expecting him to do what he says he's going to do without going to anyone else for any aid. I go to him first. Now, if he tells me to go to somebody, then I go to somebody. But this is just a really neat way of saying people who wait for the Lord believe him and trust him. People who wait for the Lord, believe him and trust him. Now it says, but those who wait on the Lord. So if I trust him, wait for the Lord, I shall change. You see that word shall, right? What does that word shall indicate? That, that's a promise. Somebody say a promise. And whenever you're looking for promises in the word, you hear people talking about trusting the promises of God. You're like, I would if I knew what they were. Look for all the wills and the shells that come from God's word. Those are promises. As Pastor Melissa said earlier, those are things you can take to the bank. That's a check that's going to cash, amen? You can trust in the promises of God. They are sure. The Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from where? So if God is promising it, you know it's good and you know it's perfect. Those who wait for the Lord, if I trust in and expect in and hope in him, I will change and renew my strength. And power. Are there any mothers who may find themselves on occasion needing to renew your strength? Needing to renew your power. What is power? Power is my ability to get results. It says they shall lift their wings and mount up, but not just anywhere. We've been talking about knowing God. You will mount up close to God. As eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint or become tired. Waiting for the Lord is all about asking God, what do you want for my life? Where do you want me to go or what do you want me to do? What do you say I should have in my life? See, we have to change our thinking and understanding that when we're waiting for God, it's not about what I think and then I go to him and say, now how are you going to work out what I want to do? It's not about what I thought he said and then I go and say, all right, Lord, I'm about to make this thing happen, what I think you said, so how, do you go, how are you going to do it? It's about 
spending time with him and getting his exact direction for your life and then expecting him to aid in carrying out what he said. Often we were studying this, uh, I think it was last Sunday, often you'll find that when you're waiting for God, you'll start learning and finding out that his plans for your life don't have a lot to do with you. See, that sounds weird to some people. Often you'll start seeing that God will use your life to bring glory to him. Often you'll find that God will use your story to help others. Well, show me that in the word. Well, you're overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their what? Testimony. Well, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why in the world would he let them go into a fire? I mean, could he not save them when everybody bowed? Before they even got bound? Think about that story when everybody bowed down and they stood up for God. Wasn't that a perfect time for the angels to come down and protect them? But God had a plan for their lives. You want to know what waiting for the Lord looks like? Waiting for the Lord looks like the soldiers who begin to make the uh, fan the flames and make it hot in the furnace. Waiting for God is watching them die and melt and still not freak out and run. Waiting for God is watching that horrific act happen and still stand for your Lord and what he said. Waiting for God is being thrown into the fire without cussing and acting a fool, without fighting everybody, and still standing up in that fire, trusting God. Because I tell you, when you continue to wait for God, you won't be waiting for long because they stood in that fire, and then the king took notice that he threw three men in, but he said, now I see four, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. If you're waiting for the Lord, expecting him, guess what? He's going to show up every single time. And in that story, you understand by the end of that story that God had a greater plan because what ended up happening when they pulled them out of the fire, then the king declared that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was now the king of the land. And he totally changed the decree, saying, now before we used to bow to this other God, but now... If anyone does not bow to and agree with this God, they'll be thrown into the flame. Often God will use your life to draw people to him. I mean, isn't, isn't that what Jesus said? If I be lifted up from the earth, I would what? But I'm a child of God. So if I'm a child of God, I'm a child of that vision. I'm a child of that purpose. So I should not be surprised when my life is used to draw people to God. So I have to walk into saying I'm willing to wait for the Lord with this understanding that what he wants for my life may not be what I see. What he wants for my life may not be what I know and understand. I mean, didn't he say my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways? Our natural inclination is to have thoughts and ways that protect us, that benefit us. And once we are benefited, then we're willing to benefit others. But that's not God's thoughts. That's not his ways. His ways and thoughts are, I am on this earth to be a benefit to others. At least that's what Jesus did. So waiting for God has to come with an understanding that God, you are truly the author 
of my life. And I will follow you and trust you no matter where you tell me to go. If you understand that, say amen. amen. I looked this word up and it actually talks about if I'm waiting, I am literally continuing as one that is in expectation of. And I thought that was an interesting definition to say continuing as one who is in expectation of. Here, that word wait, at least in our first understanding, it's almost to like stand still in your natural thing. When you're waiting for somebody, are you moving? You know, your mom says, wait for me right here. Then it normally follows with, don't go nowhere. Now, if your mama show back up to that aisle or that place or wherever she last left you, and you're not there, how many of you guys know you're in trouble? To tell your mom, I'm waiting for you, but I'm continuing to follow you, doesn't make sense. But it's interesting that this definition of waiting is not about standing still, per se. It's about continuing to trust in what God says, firmly being rooted in his promise. Now, that may require me to continue on in what he set me up in. Let me give you a couple examples. You're on a job. God told you, I want you here. They begin to lie on you. They begin to try to get you fired. Waiting for God would be to continue to go to work and continue to do the best that you could ever do through him while on that job. Waiting for him is not staying at home and saying, Lord, I need a sign from you that I got to go back. He's already given you his word. So to wait for him would be to continue on in expectation that things are going to change. Not, not just change in any way, but change in your favor. See, we got a revelation on this waiting for God thing. In this very example I'm giving, and we begin to pray, Lord, either change them or change them. Now, we weren't cursing people. Change their hearts, Lord, or get somebody in who is in line with your vision. And we're still here today. Or maybe you're in a marriage, and you're, you know, things aren't working like you think they should work. But God called y'all together. And even if he didn't originally call you together, you're not trusting your relationship to him. Because I heard somebody say in their minds, I'm not sure if he called us together. <laughs> Waiting for God would thou be to trust what his word said. Waiting for God would now be to trust his word that he spoke to your inner ear in your prayer time. Continuing on serving in that marriage, one another, in love, expecting for what he said to come to pass. Are you getting a better picture of what waiting on him looks like? Waiting for God does not mean this, hurrying ahead, leaving, rushing, carrying on, going forward without him, or going ahead without him. Those were all actually listed as antonyms or the opposite of waiting for God. The key thing is I move 
but I only move with and in him. There was a song out way back in the day by these uh, guys called, the, I think it was the Followers of Christ. And Keith Butler uh, from Word of Faith used to be in that group and they sang this song, it's in him we live, it's in him we move. They were singing that scripture, it's in him we have our being. We might as well not start to move unless we move in him. And that's the truth. It's in you I live, Lord. It's in you I move and it's in you I have my being. Moving without you would be fruitless. Moving without you would be foolish. So I might as well not start to move if I don't move in God. Now somebody says, what does this have to do with moms? Well, it actually has everything to do with moms. Moms, to me, are people who understand this, I think, more than anybody else on the earth. Have you ever noticed how mothers always put themselves last? If you don't, then we're going to pray for you because <laughs> you're a selfish joker. Amen. Mothers are often the last to eat. They're also often the last to buy things for themselves. They're often the last to speak up. Some of y'all got quiet on that one. Glory to God. They're often the last to go to sleep. A mom is often used to waiting for everyone else to get all they need before she takes care of herself. How I many guys know that moms are used to waiting? But as I was preparing this message, I had an interesting thought that while a mom is often last in all of these ways, she often is the first to go into her secret place and pray. She's often the first to provide nurturing care for her family. She's often the first to take up for, and sometimes the only one to take up for her children. She's often the first to say, I love you. Now, this is very interesting. She's often the first one to serve in her church. Women are producers and they get things done. Moms are often the first in a lot of situations to trust God. If we're being honest, we would all admit that a mother has a special understanding and connection to the love of God because it seems that they inherently reflect his unconditional compassion, his unconditional care, and his unconditional connection to his children. I think it's worthwhile right now just stopping for a second and pausing and appreciating our mothers once again. Go with me to Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, verse 30. We're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. For the mothers who do all of those things, I want you to be encouraged today that while you may not do everything perfect, God loves you just as you are. By the time we're done over the next few moments, I think your understanding of what a waiting and rested mother looks like will be heightened like never before. Matthew 11, what did I say, verse 28? And looking all the way to verse 30, starting with 28, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all 
all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. He says, and I will give you what? Who gives the rest? What is my responsibility? Moms, what is my responsibility? Just to come to him. Verse 29. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Sounds like waiting for him. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest where? For your body? Well, for your soul. Your spirit is good if you're saved. But that mind, it's what races, it's what sometimes doubts, it's what sometimes fears, it's what sometimes questions. And if I can find rest in my soul, then I can see stress begin to go away. I can see depression begin to go away. If I can take care of the dis-ease in my mind, all of a sudden I will see a reflection of the dis-ease in my body beginning to go away. Why? Because the joy of the Lord now becomes my strength. I begin to trust in who I know, who is my father, and what he has done instead of what I see. I'm not going to take on the world's yoke. I'm not going to take on their burden. I'm not going to take on their issue. I'm not going to take on the work that they're trying to put on me. Instead, I'm going to trust what God's word says. And he said, if you can do this, then you'll find rest into my soul. Verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Let's look at this in the message. Go back to verse 28. It might take us a little higher, but let's look at this in the message. It says, are you tired? Somebody say, yeah. <laughs> I heard you. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? That's what we were talking about earlier. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Some of you thought you was taking a look. I'm going to do a staycation. A real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Walk with me and work with me. You ever had a boss that say, walk with me? They got something to tell you. They got some inside information for you. God's saying, walk with me. He has something to share with you. When, when, when he would talk to Adam, uh, and I believe uh, the woman or Eve as well, and, and he walked with them in the cool of God, I believe those were intimate times where he shared intimate things with them. He's saying, walk with me. Because once you walk with me, you can hear from me, and as you hear from me, now you can be in line with me and work with me. Now, I love what he says. He doesn't say work for me. He says work with me. You are a child of God, and you have the authority and the empowerment from him to do what he needs done on this earth. You got to rest in that. You got to know that, and you got to trust that. You're not trying to get it. You got it. Your father is waiting for you to walk with him so that you can work with him. He says, watch how I do it. Don't get your eyes set on the world. Don't get your eyes set on your circumstances. Don't get your eyes set on your kids. Don't get your eyes set on your husband. Don't get your eyes set on the bill. Watch me. And I love this. When you watch how I do it, God is saying. When you watch my unconditional love, 
Because that's who he is, right? When you watch love in action, you will learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I'm only going to have you do what fits on you. Now, some people look at that and say, yes, he won't give me any situation that's too hard for me to bear. That's not totally, fully accurate. What he's saying right before that is you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Love is talking, saying, if you watch me, you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And what he's saying is, is now the things that come to you will require this grace and this love that I'm going to show you how to use. So there will be nothing that comes to you that you won't be equipped to handle. You've been fitted with grace and love. You've been fitted with the truth. Now you need to go into every situation that he calls you to and use what he's given you. There will be no situation that you won't be fitted for because you have the love of God on the inside of you. And you have to rest in him in order to walk in that. He said, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That entire section, when you read it in its context, is simply saying, know me. Know me intimately. Spend time with me. And then you will learn who I am. And as you learn who I am, you will trust who I am, and then you will be able to walk as I walk to do what I've called you to do. That's taking on his burden. And when I'm doing what God has called me to do, guess what I got? Rest. I got peace. How come? Because I'm trusting in the one who called me here. I'm not here because I want to be here. I'm here because this is where he called me to. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was where God had called him to. If you're where God has called you to be, I need you to find some rest. There's a person in the Bible that I think illustrates very well overall what it means to wait on the Lord. Go with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 1. Genesis 15, 1. There's a guy named Abram. How many of you guys know about Abram? And what was his wife's name? Yeah, and before it was Sarah, it was what? Yeah, Sarai or Sarai. And I hope y'all are ready to walk through the Bible a little bit because it's so important that you see this in its entirety. We're going to look at this in a New International Version or the NIV. Verse 1 says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram, Abram said, sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who would inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? 
That was his servant. And Abraham and Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now here Abram is coming to God and God's, you know, making a promise to him. And he's saying, listen, that's great, God, but I'm concerned about something else. It's very interesting to me to see that even this whole thing started off with Abram having a concern with God. And he brought that concern to God and made it known, and then God addressed it. Verse 4 says, then the word of who? So what word was he going to have to trust? The Lord's. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and here's the word. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own, somebody say own, flesh and blood will be your heir. Verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall, now we talked about this earlier, what does that word shall indicate? Yeah, so shall your offspring be. Now, for the sake of time, I feel like it's important to let you know this. Anytime you see a so shall or so will, it's done. It's not going to happen, it's done. Remember, there's no time or distance in the spirit. So when God said, let there be light, in our brains, we say, how long did that take? But for him, it was done. When God says you're healed, it's done. When God says you're prosperous, it's done. When God says your children, all is well with them, it's done. When God says all is well with your marriage, it's done. It's a promise from him. Now, you may be holding on and having to wait for the manifestation, but as far as he's concerned, it is, as Jesus said, finished. So shall your offspring be. Now, here's the part I love. Here's the prerequisite for salvation. Here's the prerequisite for grace to be active in your life. Here's for the Abrahamic covenant, the side that man was responsible for. Verse 6, if you, if you can underline this, highlight this, whatever you want to do, because this is important. Read this with me. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. The Amplified says, and Abram believed in, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast too. Sounds a lot like waiting for the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, right standing with God. What offering did Abraham give? What animal at this moment did he kill to be made right, to ratify this covenant? What did he do? Now, the, the commandments didn't exist. You got to understand what the dispensation was, where we were at at this time, how was God dealing with man? There was no Old Testament covenant. This was it. There was no do good, get good, do bad, get bad. A lot of people, again, don't rightly divide the word because they don't know what was going on during that time. God was dealing with man by whatever he said. He wasn't dealing with you at how good you were. I'm going to show you some stuff that might freak you out, blow your wig off before it's done. Because God was indeed and is still love. 
And he was dealing with his people through love and, and very gracious to them. And all this man had to do was say, I believe you. Not even say it, it just says he believed. Abraham believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness or right standing with God. Let's keep going. He also said unto him, this is God talking, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you what? This land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, this is a full-blown conversation. And here you is, here, here you is, here you are, <laughs> here you are thinking that God don't want to talk to you. Because you got a question. God loves his kids. So the Lord said to him, uh, bring me a what? Heifer, a goat and a ram, sorry, heifer. Each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon, Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Verse 12, and the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there now what is God talking about he's foretelling or giving Abraham a vision of what's going to happen to the children of Israel in Egypt long story short they were never supposed to be in Egypt but they ended up in Egypt for multiple for a few different reasons and God was telling him in advance now remember he has no children so he's not only promised them that this guy is not going to be his heir, but now he's telling him the future of what's going to happen to his children and his children's children and that entire generation or that entire people. He says they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Now verse 14, now here he comes again, but I will, here's the promise, punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now, again, that's a promise. And I don't know about you, but I love that understanding in verse 14, that anytime I see that word, but, that means everything before that, sit that to the side and pay attention to what you're about to read. Verse 15, it says, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So God is literally showing him the future, saying, listen, you're going to have a kid, he's going to be the heir to your estate and all of that. Don't worry about that. But along this path, your people will eventually be enslaved. But I'm going to punish the nation that, it, that, that mistreats them and does them wrong. And then I'm going to bring them out blessed. That's all very, very good news. And he says, but for you personally, you're going to die of a good old age and be at peace. So Abraham up to, or Abram up to this point has received promises and a word from the Lord. And I want just to pause here to show you that this is how it works for us in our lives. That as we spend time with God, conversating with him, intimately getting to know him, he will give us the details of our life. Doesn't it say that the Holy Spirit will show you things to come? Is that not what God is doing here right here with Abraham in the Old Testament before Jesus even died? 
If God will do it for Abraham, why will he not do it for you when the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you? You've been asking God and begging God for wisdom and understanding and to know what's coming and what's around the corner. I don't want you to settle anything for anything less than what he does for his people. So he's, he's telling them everything's going to work out. So now it's really just up to Abraham to wait for the Lord. To expectantly chill out and continue to believe God and moving forward knowing it's going to come to pass. Verse 15. He said, uh, sorry, verse 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. This was this promised land he was talking about. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between what? The pieces. I don't have a lot of time to break this down, but I don't think it's a coincidence that here's this fire moving between those pieces. And when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, it was also uh, fire behind them uh, as they moved between the two pillars of water. But that's, that's for another message. Amen. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. The NIV says, from the, from the Wadi or from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. And then he begins to talk about all the other ites is land <laughs> that he also gave them. So here it is. Abraham has the word from the Lord. So the stage is set. All he has to do is trust and believe in what the Lord says, right? All he has to do is wait on the Lord. And as he waits for the Lord, it surely is going to come to pass. Amen? But how many of you guys know the time between <laughs> the time humans receive a word and the time between that word actually manifesting can be a very interesting time. The time that God promises something to you and the time you have to wait to see it come to pass can be a very interesting time. And especially as a mother, when that child is in your womb and God gives you a promise, when that child is a baby and God has given you promise, the time in between knowing what he told you and then seeing it come to pass can be a very interesting time. Let's look at this time in this story. Verse 16 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has what? The Lord has kept me from having children. Now, was that true? Not necessarily. <laughs> she said, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. How many times in between the thus saith the Lord and it has come to pass have we gotten involved with the perhaps I can build? The picture of not waiting for the Lord is the perhaps I can build. I'm reminded of the children, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of the people in Babylon who began to build that Tower of Babel. Those folks. Perhaps we can build. 
Isaiah 64, 4 talks about the fact that God works on the behalf of those who gladly wait for him. God will go to work on your behalf when you rest. But if you go to work, God loves you so much, he's not going to get in your way. And he will rest while you work. Some of y'all don't believe this in the Bible. Put your finger there real quick. Let's go to Isaiah 64, 4. Let me show you this super quick. Isaiah 64, 4. It says, since ancient times, no one has heard, nor I, nor ear, sorry, nor ear has perceived, nor I seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Uh, flip that to the Amplified. It says, who works and shows himself active on behalf of him who earnestly or gladly waits for him. Sarai's issue was she wasn't willing to wait for him. I mean, Lord, I know what you told Abram. Abram, I know what he said to you, but, but, but we got to get this thing going. We got to make this happen. Sarah was about that action, and she was like, I, I, can't, I can't wait. We got to go. Now, I thought it was something very interesting here. Sarah, a lot of people read this and fought her and says she wasn't willing to trust God. I think she trusted him, just not fully. Because notice, she didn't reject, at this point, the idea of being a mother. She caught the vision, but she didn't possess the promise. And see, you can see what God has told you, and you can catch the division, the vision of who he said you're supposed to be, but if you don't receive his promise, see, Abraham, Abram received the promise. He had the full breakdown. He had spent intimate time with the Father who said, this is what I'm promising you. And in receiving the promise, then God cut a covenant. Then God shared the bigger vision. But Abram first had to receive the promise. All those things that led up to the covenant, he was like, yeah, God, that's good, that's good. And he was trusting God and he was listening to God. Why? Because I know you and we're having this whole conversation. I'm able to ask you questions. You're able to give me answers. And as a result, I've bought into your promises. So then when God turned around and then cut covenant, giving him the bigger vision and the bigger understanding, he was like, I'm good. But we don't see that same process with Sarah. What we literally see is her buying into the fact that she's going to be a mother, but not buying into the fact that it was going to be of her flesh. Lord, I believe that you've called me to this place and I see what you've said I'm going to do, but now I got to get involved to make sure it happens. Now, what did God say? I want to tell you that you have to buy into his impossible promise in order to see the covenant that he's cut with you, the thing that he's shown you come to pass. And understand, I use that word impossible promise on purpose. What was being told to them was not possible naturally. But Abraham knew God so well that he believed. And that's why it was counted to him for righteousness. He believed something that was not possible. 
He believed something that was going to be greater than himself. I hope you're hearing me on today. He believed something that his body was not qualified for. But it was nonetheless true, not because of his body, not because of his goodness, not because of his actions, but simply because God said it. And when God says something, it supersedes your physical body, it supersedes your qualifications, it supersedes what money you got in the bank, it supersedes all the failed things that's happened in your life, it even supersedes your bad behavior. Because no one can still show me where perfect, perfect Abram or Sarai exist yet in this script. These were just, um, this is just a man and a woman who was believing God. And notice, we haven't even got to the part where their names get changed to Abraham and their names get changed to Sarah, because you know the end of the story, she gets pregnant. But here she is, directly going against what God said. Somebody said, wait, I thought this was going to be a happy story of a waiting, rested mother. Oh, you're going to see, I told you by the, by the time we're done with this, you're going to have a whole new perspective of what it means to really wait and rest for God. You're going to have a whole new perspective of who he is. Somebody said, well, let's go. All right, we're going to keep going. All right. Where were we at? <laughs> yes, 16 two, thank you. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having a child. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. <laughs> now, Abram, I'm kind of not surprised. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Oh, you give me another wife? Okay. <laughs> I think that's wisdom. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for how long? Ten years. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she what? Conceived. Uh, I had a note here that conception does not always mean that you're in line with the covenant of God. Just because something is produced out of your life, just because something is produced by your hand, does not necessarily mean it's from God. See, that's what the enemy does. He tries to think that as he tries to make you think that as you've done something or worked something and it appears to be good, it appears to be life. It may be life, but it may not be what God intended for you. Now, God loves you, so he's not gonna, you know, somebody, he'll use that to curse you. That's not how God operates. But how many of you guys know you can waste a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money and hurt a lot of people's lives by producing things and having conception of things that aren't from him? It says, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to, this is uh, Sarai, when she knew Hagar was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Not waiting for God will cause you to feel like, literally, God has forgotten you. Not waiting for God will cause you to think God is punishing you. Not waiting for God will lead you to believe that God has changed his mind about you. Not waiting for God will make you frustrated and will frustrate his plans for your life. Sometimes the frustration that we experience is not because God doesn't love us. It may be that we need to back up and see, is this conception a result of something I've done or a result of something he's done? 
Because when he's done something, it's good. When he's done something, it's perfect. When he does something, it should produce peace. It should produce joy. It should produce gladness. And if you have situations in your life that are bringing you sadness, depression, fear, anger, I want you to be wise and back up and say, Lord, is this from you? Because when, when the baby was conceived, when the very thing that she was working for was conceived, she wasn't happy. She began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. That's what will happen. You get to blaming folk. And before we get too hard on a woman, I remember a dude named Adam. Who when God showed up and said, hey, Adam, where are you? Did you eat that of that tree? The woman you gave me. He blamed, I've never seen a double blame. He blamed the woman and God all at once. The woman you gave me. Had you not given me this woman, I'd be good. But that's often an indicator of, of what happens when we're not waiting for God. We begin to blame others and we begin to get frustrated and upset and, and, and there's just no peace. Strife comes out of all of that. She said, I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. She got religious on them. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Now he's like, that's your slave. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from her. Now these are the people of God. These are God's children. I thought God's children was perfect. I thought God's children didn't make mistakes. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, slave of Sarai, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. She answered, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, this is not God directly, but now it's an angel of the Lord promising Sarai that her child will be blessed. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name his name Ishmael, for the Lord has heard, this is what his name meant, of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. I mean, that's what the NIV says. <laughs> his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him now if you study this even deeper you understand that even the Islamic faith and all of that um, they kind of take their cues from Ishmael whereas Judaism take their cues from Isaac and so if you start tracing his way back that, that big war that's going on to this day was started right here be careful because working things out on your own can mess some stuff up. Yeah. 
Somebody thought I was going to say that real deep. No, it's that simple. <laughs> it can cause great conflict in between God's plan, his perfect plan for your life. Amen? It says, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So that was prophesied way back then. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I need you to understand that even here, Hagar's a mom. She's a slave. She didn't ask for this. But even though she's got the Ishmael and not the Isaac, God is still seeing her. Even though you may not have everything you thought you should have, and even though things may not be working out the way you thought they were going to work out, I need you to understand that God still sees you. He still knows you, and he's still watching over you. You got to trust him, amen? That is why the well was called Bir Lahiro. It is still there between Kadesh and Bereth. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was how old? 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now was Ishmael's God's plan, but yet he was still here. Now verse 17 begins, it says, when Abram was how old? No, verse 17, one. <laughs> when Abram was how old? 99. But my mathematicians, 13 years later. 13 years between the manifestation of what God did not say and the voice of God appearing to return. I need you to be encouraged in the what you think are silent years after you may have missed God. I take courage and I, and I take joy, to be honest with you, in seeing verse 17. It tells me that God is never done with me. It tells me, that, it tells me that God loves me and he's never finished with me. Now, Jesus has made us right with God. Understand that Abram doesn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him like you and I do. So even though Abram went through a process where it looks like God was not talking to him, Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And the Bible promises he ain't leaving you nor forsaking you. God is never done with you. If he can return back to Abram, he showing up, can be there for you. Abram was 99 years old. 13 years later, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So he's coming back and he's making what's called the covenant of circumcision. And a lot of this covenant reestablishes what he already said. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You, what is that word, will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, now here's the name change, but you will be called Abraham. 
for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now, remember he said this earlier to him, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I what? Will be their God. So he gives them this whole covenant. Now show me where Abraham has asked for this great forgiveness. Show me where Abraham has lived perfectly up until this point. Yet God still showed back up and said, listen, now you got to do, you got you to gotta, you gotta come to me blameless and, 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 and what do you say? Faithfully, believing me, having confidence in my word. And I'm going to make this covenant with you. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And I will spare you the gory details, but Abraham was 99. I think Isaac was 13. And they both got circumcised that day. And so did every male person. That was an interesting day, I'm sure, in the household of Abram. There's a reason they do that when you're a baby. Amen. So here's Abram. We don't read about Sarai just yet. And Abram has this covenant establishment with God. Oh, yeah, before I, before I tell you that. Uh, go to verse 15. God also said to Abram, uh, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. See, he didn't leave out his wife, the woman. I will bless her. So this idea that only men can be blessed and all of that, or men got some special hookup with God that women don't have, God could have just left her out if he so supposedly blamed her. But that's not what happened, is it? He said, I will bless her and I will surely give her a son, you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, so that she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down, and he did what? He did what? He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born of a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael. Abraham said this to God. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Can you just do this through Ishmael? Can you do this through the one that we worked out? Now, God's mean, right? God's this angry God that if you go against him, he's going to strike you down, right? Well, if you're talking about Old Testament God, when the rule was you do what I say to do or there's punishment. But if you do what I say to do, you'll be blessed. You'll see this, what we call a good side of God. If you don't do what I do, you're going to see the wrath of God. That was the Old Testament covenant, but remember that covenant had a purpose. This is before covenant, and you're getting to see God's full, graceful, true nature. 
He says, if only Ishmael might live under the blessing, this is what God said, verse 19. Then God said what? Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Wait a minute, this goes against everything I thought about God. He had a plan, didn't he? He had a purpose, didn't he? But here's God with man working things out. Here's God with man not being just dismissive, but considering his child's request. And saying, that's not what I planned for you. That's not what I have for you. But since it's a desire of your heart, yes. That's why we say when God, when you come to God with a prayer, and it's a, it's a prayer in line with his will and all that, those types of things, we say his answer is yes and amen. We, you think God's trying to tell you no all the time. You can look at the script. These people, they made a mistake. They did something wrong. But God is saying, listen, that's still a child. That's still my child. I still got a, problem, a promise out there to Hagar. So yes. Yes, I told Hagar he'd be blessed. So that's my will anyway for him to be blessed. So what you're saying is right in line with what I want. So yes, God is amazing how he works things out. He said, I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant... I will establish with Isaac. He literally repeats back to Abraham what he told Hagar. I'll make my covenant through Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God, what, went up from him. And then it says on that very day, that's when he carried out uh, the actual circumcisions. Go down to chapter uh, 18. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. Verse 3 says, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you all may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham heard into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then bought, uh, brought some curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Then they asked, where's your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will what? Have a son. This is very interesting. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind her. She was eavesdropping. <laughs> Verse 11 says, Abraham and Sarah 
were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah did what Abraham did earlier. She did what? Laughed to herself. As she thought, after I am worn out <laughs> and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, see God was and is always there. The Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time, at the appointed time, at the appointed time. The responsibility is mine, and it's going to be at the appointed time. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. How many times has God repeated himself by now? That, that's why I want you to see this whole story. Somebody, we're going to read the whole story? Yes. I want you to see this whole story in context. Because often we skip around in the Bible. We don't clearly show people in the word what God looks like. And especially in the church, we don't show what his people really look like. This is what we look like for real. This is what you look like at home with your pretty self questioning God and going back and forth with him and being somewhat disobedient sometimes, but this is what he looks like. Still taking care of you, still considering you, still loving you, still gracious to you, still saying it over and over and over and over and over and over, even when you laugh at him over and over and over again. So verse 15, Sarah was afraid. Somebody said, but she hadn't really committed a sin up to this point. So she lied and said, now who is this conversation between Abraham and God? So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Now, if you read that too quick, you think she's talking to Abraham. Go to the Amplified, pop that up in the Amplified. It says, then Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he, what's up with that H? That's a capitalized H. Who is she talking to? He said, no, but you did laugh. So here it is. There's so much to take out of just that. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Number one, he was still talking to her. He didn't cut her off. He didn't say, I want anything to do with you. He didn't say, I don't love you. She laughed at him. She lied to him. She went against what he said, but yet he's still talking to his daughter. This is what it looks like to learn how to rest and wait for the Lord. It's to have such a relationship with him, such an intimate relationship with him, that it's not about you trying to be perfect. It's about you saying, Lord, I know you. And even though I messed up, and even though I made a mistake, I know you're not going to leave me. I know you're not going to forsake me. I love you, and I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to work this thing out. But I'm still right here, confidently expecting that you're going to bring all of this to pass. Get this thing out of your mind that it's about you being perfect. Mom, you know you're not perfect, and it's okay. The devil has been messing with you all this time, trying to make you feel like a failure. 
trying to make you feel like you failed God, trying to make you feel like you failed your family. And here it is, a woman who's failing over and over again, but God is still right there. If you continue to read, it goes into Abraham as he begins to plead for Sodom and talk to God about Sodom in verse 19, sorry, chapter 19, then talks about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And then you have the whole story about Lot and his daughters and then Lot and his wife. There's a lot of crazy things that happen in that between time before Isaac was born in, verse, uh, in chapter 21. But before we skip through all of that, I do want to show you something again about the character of Abraham and Sarai. Go to, um, I think it's Genesis 20. Let's look at verse 8. Genesis 28. It says, early the next morning, Abimelech, now this is the king, they had got to his place, and basically what Abraham and Sarah had done at this point was Sarah was pretty. She was good looking. And so Abimelech was like, yo, she kind of fine. I think I'm going to take her as my wife. And because he was a king, Abraham got scared. Because in truth, Abraham and Sarah were like half brother and sister. So he half lied and said, well, that's just my sister, so it's cool. But God came, and this is after the covenant, this is after the promise. Then God came to Abimelech in a dream, was like, yo, you about to take that man's wife. And so that brings us up to verse 8. It says, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that you should never have done. And, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Here's Abraham's answer. <laughs> I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. See, coach turned line. The child of God. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle <laughs> and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned to Sarah, his wife, uh, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving you your brother. I bet you he was like, I am giving you your brother a thousand shekels of silver. <laughs> this is to cover the offense against you. Before all who, were, who are with you, you are completely vindicated. Now, they lied to him. Why is he doing this? Because in that dream, God told him who they were and also who they represented. Here it is, Abraham and Sarah had lied. Totally misrepresented to a king to a president in our sense, and yet they're being blessed. Not because of how good they are, but because of who God is. Remember, this is pre-Old Testament covenant law. 
Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife. God is even working healing through this man. And his female slaves so that they could have children again. He had that anointing on them, didn't he? For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Verse 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. We get all the way up to this point where all this crazy stuff has happened. And what does God do? The Amplified says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for her as he had promised. Why did he do this? Because she just kept trusting. She just kept believing. She just kept waiting. No matter what was going on, no matter what was occurred, in her imperfection, in her husband's imperfection, she just continued to believe God. If we can wait for him, we'll have rest and peace. We don't have to rush. We don't have to rush him. There is a set and appointed time. I said there is a set and appointed time. Sarah became pregnant in the NIV and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time, at the very time, the Amplified says, at the set time, God told him. Abraham named his son, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now look at that in the Amplified. What does that word Isaac mean? That means what? It means what? Abraham, wait, that's, you'll put up verse uh, 3. Abraham named his son whom Sarah bore to him Isaac, which means laughter. I thought that was kind of interesting. Because that's what Abraham did when God talked to him. That's what Sarah did when God told her. So I said, Holy Spirit, show me why. What's, what's the deal here? Why, why would you name Isaac laughter? Because I would think, if anything, you would have been offended or upset. Because that's what they did to you. They were showing you they didn't trust you. They were showing you they didn't believe you. They weren't waiting for you in their mindset at that point. Why would you name him laughter? He said, because I wanted to remind them that it was me who did this. I wanted to remind them of my grace and my love. I wanted to remind them that this is my promise. And every time they say his name, they will be reminded that this is by me. Not by him, not by her, but this is by me that this is done. And man, I looked at that and I said, Lord, that's just like you. To remind your people of how much you love them. Of how gracious you are to us. I have down here the waiting and rested mother is not a perfect mother, but she is a mother who knows how to trust and believe her God above all else. And because she believes him, she can rest in the fact that for her husband, for her, and for all of her children, there is a set time. There's a set time where the plan of God will be fulfilled in her and her family's life. Understand that you've done the best and even your best has sometimes doubted God and sometimes laughed at God or even lied to him, but he is still good and loved you. And he's loved you so much that just like he did for Sarah, he will graciously be there for you. We all have to understand this. Our covenant is not just the Abrahamic covenant, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are we what? 
saved through faith. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. He is our God and we are his people. He does for us simply because he is gracious and simply because he is good. Somebody says, I hear what you're saying, but I, I still don't believe all of this. I still think we got to do what we need to do to have what we need to have. We're going to close with these things. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 7. Let me help you settle this once and for all. Because how many guys believe the word? I said, how many guys believe the word? Well, let me show you what it says. It says, and we're going to go down to verse 13. It says, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, speaking of the Old Testament law covenant, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In other words, if the Old Testament was what God wanted, there would be no New Testament. Verse 8. But God found fault with the people. These were Abraham's descendants. And said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Archie didn't say this. Crepo Dollar didn't say this. God said it. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Let's keep going. It will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is the covenant. This is, now you need to perk up, highlight, underline. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Instead of these laws being on tablets, he says, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Here we go again. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Why? Because he lives on the inside of us. And he says he's not qualifying anybody. From the least to the greatest, this covenant is for us all. Verse 12. I love this part. For I will what? God's not forgiving my sins every time. I will forgive their wickedness. And here's the interesting part that I love, but many people like to reject. This is the Lord talking, right? And I will remember their sins no more. I, who said this? This is the new covenant, right? This is what Jesus' blood bought you, right? If he said he remembers my sin no more, then why do I try to live this religious thing that says if I've made a mistake, then it's counted against me? And I just showed you for a whole hour a couple who constantly sinned against God under a different covenant, and he forgave them over and over and over again and was totally gracious to them over and over and over again. See, the enemy's after your trust in God. He's after your ability to wait for the Lord because he knows in that you'll have your strength. He knows in that you'll be willing to follow God's will for your life. And so he wants you to doubt God. He wants you to not believe God. He wants you to think that this topic and this subject is not for you. This is the foundation of all Christianity right here. 
And he wants to confuse you and deceive you into thinking that you still have to work for what Jesus' blood has already earned. He says, I remember your sins no more. Your sins are not an issue with God. Now don't run crazy with what I just said. There are consequences on this earth to your sins. You go out and shoot somebody, you're going to jail. Amen? But as far as between your covenant with you and him, he forgives you. I say he forgives you. So you got to make the distinction between the two. You're trying to lump it all together and say, you just said I can do what I want to do. No, I said you can do what you want to do, but there's consequences on earth for what you do. But as far as God is concerned, he forgives you. It can't be conditional and unconditional love at the same time. God still is holding out hope and expectation and belief that even though you're a murderer, even though you're a liar, even though you're whatever, that you will turn back to him. His door is always open for his children. Verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. You can live by the Old Testament covenant if you want to. It's obsolete. You need a new software download. Your phone going to crash if you keep trying to live by that old covenant. You wondering why things aren't working out in your life? You have to understand that waiting for the Lord is also going by all that he has said. I cannot properly wait for the Lord, and I won't find rest if I'm only trying to live by the old covenant. This is for somebody. I have to take all of what he said and rightly divide that word of truth. The frustration in your life is not because you're a bad person, but some of you are stuck in the old obsolete way. Some of you are afraid to step out because you remember what you were like. Thank you, Lord. You remember what you were like when you were a stone-cold sinner. And you're afraid that the gospel of grace has given you license to go back into the old. Baby, I'm here to tell you today that because God truly lives on the inside of you, and as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, he is the one renewing and working out the good in you. So you don't have to be in fear that you're going to go back to the old you. That old man is dead. That old woman is dead. You need to walk out in freedom today and allow the covenant of grace to be the new covenant that you walk in. Jesus did it for you. Now, God's not going to force the new covenant upon you. But honey, the reason why you don't have peace and the reason why you can't rest is you're in an obsolete covenant. And it says, and it's outdated and it'll soon disappear. The only people that should still be living by the Old Testament covenant is a sinner. Because that's what it's designed for. It's, it's not designed for you to try to live by it. No one can. That's what the whole blood of Jesus thing was about. His blood was perfect because he's the only one who could do it. And he was God in the flesh. The purpose of the Old Testament covenant, the word says it, it's actually to increase sin in your life. It's to show you. It calls it the ministry of death. It's to show you that you need a savior. It was not for you to try to live by. It was for people to attempt and to say, I can't do this. And then Jesus says, absolutely you can. I'll do it for you. And if you'll believe in what I did, now you'll have access to all that God has to offer. And that's what we wait on. That's what we expect. That's what we have our hope in. That's what we rest. We don't take on the burden as parents, as mothers, as husbands, we don't, as, as children of God. We don't take on the burden of trying to live and do things perfect. 
No, what we take on is just the truth of God's love for us. And we say, Lord, you are gracious. You love us so much that even in all our failures, even in all our mistakes, you're still here for us. You still sent your son to die for us. And I receive that, Lord. Now, show me, as we looked at last week with the children of Israel, show me what you want to do with my life. Today, I want you to settle this covenant issue. Today, I want you to settle this, this wrestling that you're doing on the inside of yourself, especially as a mother, that you have to be perfect. Today, I want you to settle the issue that God loves you, that God, that Jesus' blood was enough, and that in all your imperfections, he's still waiting to use you. Say this with me. Say, God loves me. Say, God loves me. Say, I'm forgiven. Say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your favor for your grace. And some of you, you may have to remind yourself of that every single day. Because the enemy has worked overtime to convince you otherwise. And I want to tell you today that even though you've gone through some pressure, one of the most precious jewels there is, is only produced after an immense amount of pressure. And that's a diamond. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that jewel was brought to my mind as I was finishing up writing this message. And he was saying that as women, especially as mothers, you go through so much pressure, but his promise will come to pass. Just like it did in Sarah. That diamond, that it came at the set appointed time. And so it is with you. You may be still in your process. Don't be upset because you're in the process. Don't get condemned. Don't find yourself in shame. Make the choice that, Lord, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to believe what you said about me. I'm going to believe what you said about my family. And I'm going to trust that I qualify because of this new covenant through Jesus. Father God, I thank and praise you for everybody under the sound of my voice. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord that you're able to search the hearts of each and every person. For those who need to experience your love like never before, for those who have felt forgotten, for those who may be tired and weary, I thank you, Lord, that today they take on what you have made ready for them. And that is your love. That is your power. That is your strength. I want every mother in here just to stand to your feet really quickly. Every mom. And for all the moms, and if, and if you're somebody else in here and you got to go I understand but I got to be obedient to what God is saying to do if you're a mom in here 
I want you to come down here to the front. And Melissa, come help me with this really quick. And we're just going to pray with and for you really quickly. Or as quick as we can. Ushers, you should already be down here. Vision keepers, you should already be down here. You shouldn't wait till the crowd gets here. Go ahead and get in front of them. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name, God. I want you to close your eyes and I want you just to raise your hands right where you're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're out in the congregation, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Father, I lift up every mother down here at the front. Father, I thank and praise you right now. As we pray for your children, I thank you in the name of Jesus, Father God. That they be reminded of who they are in you. I thank you for your peace that passes all understanding to guide their heart and mind. We honor our mothers today, Lord. And we thank you for who they are. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father God, for the gifts that you have in each and every one of them to be released and to be free. I thank and praise you right now, Lord, for your hand upon each and every one of them. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Glory to your name. Just praise them, just worship them, just thank them. Bastera Barroso, Vela Badre, Sida Barroso, 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We worship you in this place, Lord. We glorify your name, Lord. We believe you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your name, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Glory to your name, Jesus. We honor you today, Father. Jesus. 
thank you, Father God. Glory unto your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for your healing power, Lord. Healing in our hearts and our minds, Father God. Thank you for peace right now. Peace in the name of Jesus. I come against the spirits of anxiety and worry and fear and depression, Father. I come against postpartum depression in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that your peace rules, rests, and reigns in every mom's mind, Father. I declare it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Glory unto your name. Glory unto your name, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory unto your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory unto your name, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to your name, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
See, it's important not to be in a rush so God can do what he needs to do. Amen. Father, have your way. Have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Glory to you, Father God, we just thank and praise you right now. We thank you, Father God, that everything that was prayed for, we believe, we receive, it is done. We call it finished in the name of Jesus. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise for the healing that has taken place, for the restoration that has taken place. We thank you for the wisdom that was given, Lord. And we just give you praise for it right now. Now here's what I want everybody to do. I want you all to stand to your feet right where, you, right where you're at. And I want you to forget about the time. And I want you to forget about how you feel. And I want you to forget about all those things. And just focus in on God. Declaring that all that he's done and will do is good and has happened and is happening. I want you to get him on your mind right now. And I just want you just to give him praise. I just want you just to give him praise. I just want you just to give him praise. Just give him praise for who he is. Give him praise for what he's done. Give him praise for the promises that he's given you. Just go ahead and give him praise right where you're at. Without any doubt, without any fear, without any precondition, I want you just to give your father praise. If you have relationship with him, I want you to give your father praise. I mean, if you know him, I want you to give your father praise. If you know that he loves you, I want you to give your father praise. Father, we thank and praise you in the name of Jesus that these things are done and that all is well. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. 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 Come on, let's give God one more hand clap of praise.
Amen. Well, guys, I want you to know that, I mean, we love you, but I wish, I wish I could put into words how much God loves you. There are no words. And, and I hope you continue to rest and spend time with him so that he can express it to you and that you just continue to trust him. Now, I know we got offering and all that stuff that we, you know, do and need to do. And I'll make a long story short, they'll have some buckets at the back door and you can drop your offerings in there. And, and uh, if you give them by text, they'll put that on the screen while we get ready to close. You can do that. Um, we appreciate your giving. It's why we can still have a place to meet. We still have lights on and all that stuff. So give. But how many guys know it's okay just to spend some extra time with God? It's okay to make sure everybody gets personal attention from what he wants to do, amen? And sometimes you just got to mess up your schedule just a little bit just to make sure you're waiting for him. So your giving is blessed in Jesus' name. When we dismiss, if you want to join the church, if you need prayer for salvation, if you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we also, you know, would then invite you down at the end of service and we'll have somebody waiting here to minister to you and take care of you. I can't think of any better place than the place where God calls you to be. Amen? Amen. And if this is where God has called you to be, we want to be your pastors. We love you. We love those who God sends our way. Amen? Now, if this is not the place for you, man, we encourage you to find that place because God has a place for you to be. Amen? Uh, before we go, I want to celebrate Melissa as the mother of my kids. <laughs> and want to thank her for just how faithful she's been uh, as a mom for 23 years, uh, just faithfully uh, doing all that has been required, what's not required, what's been asked, what's not been asked. Uh, and she's just a blessing. And, and uh, through all the ups, the downs, the all-arounds, uh, she's been right there. You know, when we got married, you know, indeed, she signed up to be a mom, but she didn't sign up to be a pastor, a first lady. I don't even call her first lady because she's not first lady. She co-pastor, so this this pastor, yeah. Pastor Melissa. Yeah. I don't think you heard me. I said this Pastor Melissa. Yeah. I told, her, I told her the other day, I said, you know what God told me? You my pastor too. I said, what, what's the word you got for me today, pastor? I need ministry. And, and, and so just the blessing that she is, uh, but especially as a mom. Uh, haven't met a better mom than, than this one standing next to me, uh, who's so selfless and sacrifices so much of herself. You know, when I was writing that message saying what moms do, that was what Melissa does. I, that, I, she was in my mind the whole time about eating last and putting the kids first. And that's just the person she is. I gave her, you know, money for part of her Mother's Day gift and she went and spent it on other folks and just being, a, that's just who she is. I gotta go buy stuff for her to make her do stuff and, and she's just amazing in that way. So uh, I wanna honor you today, babe, and say happy Mother's Day and I love you. Amen? Amen. Now see me later and we'll enjoy it. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, let's stay up here. Let's go ahead and pray over everybody. Uh, so let's go ahead and get you out of here so you can get to your uh, lunches and everything. Father, I just thank and praise you for these, your precious sheep, your people. 
We thank you for your word on today that we've seen that to wait and to rest is not necessarily to be perfect, but just to trust you. And we thank you for being so gracious to us. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the almighty God. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. We thank you, Lord, that we have confidence that as we leave you this place, we continuously remain in your grace. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget the ushers. They'll be happy to serve you with your offerings and tithes on the way out the door. We love you guys so much. You are dismissed.